Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Elizabeth Woodson and Adam Hawkins. And in this episode, we're going to be doing a cultural roundup, talking about everything from the Jericho March in Washington, D.C., to the stimulus checks that I hope have hit your bank accounts. And all the way, we'll wrap up with the Georgia Senate election. Some pretty big deals going on. National spotlight on politics again, but certainly a lot to consider for the Christian. Here we go. Adam Hawkins, I want to throw it to you and start with the Jericho March. Buddy, I've been a little bit uh, out of the news cycle. So for me and for the rest of us who don't know what the Jericho March is, could you just catch us up? What is that? What's going on in D.C.? Yeah, yeah, man. Well, first of all, that's probably a really healthy decision to stay out of the news cycle. So uh, (laughs) I applaud you. But um, the Jericho March was a few weeks ago, um, a group of people got together uh, in D.C., and um, now there are subsequent marches happening, but it's basically tied up with the kind of Stop the Steal, if you've seen some of those marches happening. Uh, Stop the Steal are marches by Trump supporters who are basically saying that the election was stolen and that we need to stop the steal. The, The wrinkle with the Jericho march is that it is mainly by uh, Christians or or self-proclaimed. I'm not, I don't, you know, I, I don't, I can't judge a man's heart, but um, yeah, of Christians who are basically saying that God has told them um, to to uh, that it's not over, really, that it's not over. And so Eric Metaxas led the big event that happened in D.C. a few weeks ago. He's a name that many of our listeners might know. Um, and just there was some some things that are sort of that were strange uh, there. Um like weird mix of sort of uh, blowing of shofars and um, sort of... Can you yeah, explain some, explain a shofar real quick for people who don't know? What's the significance of the shofar? I mean, I know Elizabeth is... Uh, she was first chair shofar, I believe, in high school, but... <laughs> I was, for, I was. <laughs> but for those those listening who may not know a shofar, Adam, if you could both explain the spiritual sign or biblical reference, but also maybe make a imitation sound. I think that would be helpful for everybody. You know, my first actual, when I lived in Brooklyn, there's a really large Jewish community there, both a Hasidic Jewish community, but then Mm -hmm. an Orthodox Jewish community and and, um, um, a Reformed Jewish community. And so during their, in in the modern sort of uh, expression of shofarism, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is terrible and I hopefully hopefully not offensive to anybody. But um, basically during one of the Jewish holidays, which now I can't remember, I think it's Yom Kippur, but I could be wrong about that. One of the Jewish holidays, um, th- Jews will be out in the street and they will actually blow this little horn, which is a shofar. It's usually made of like a, I don't know, like a, a ram's horn material. I could be wrong about that. but um, No, I think you're exactly right. But they will be out in the street, and they'll ask people as they go by, are you Jewish? And if you are, they ask you to blow the horn. And they asked me to blow the horn, and we're like, you you must be Jewish, is what they said to me. <laughs> Which I think they were, I, I actually was very honored, um, but I, I didn't blow the shofar. Um, oh. But in biblical reference, um, actually, Adam... Is the biblical reference Walls of Jericho? Is that is that what it is? No, I would just... It's like a Jewish trumpet, right? Is my understanding. Yeah, it's, it's a like, Jewish trumpet. Because yes, the, the, the right. March of Jericho is a biblical, ref, or is it's a a biblical reference, reference. to 
the the when the Israelites marched around the city of Jericho and blew their shofars or trumpets and the walls came down, right? Right. Uh, marched so, around the city for seven days. So, so help th- me understand the, the reference here. Is this people saying, because it's, it's a, my understanding is this is a very Republican movement, right? The, the march. Yes. Yeah. And, and right now they, we have a sitting Republican president, but they are marching around Washington protesting uh, saying that actually the, Donald Trump won the election, so we're going right. to get together and protest the election results. Is that the idea? That is the idea, but it's blended with what I would say is Christian nationalism. Okay. So it's a. It, I think that's where most of our listeners would even recognize it as weird. Um, and and there's this sense of Christian nationalism involved. It is, but. It, I think what's important to recognize about it is there's a lot of sort of um, prophetic language going on. So people saying, God told me it's not over. Eric Metaxas saying that since God has told me this, I don't care about evidence. He literally said something like, I don't care about evidence. I don't care about facts. This this Donald Trump is not done and I'll do whatever it takes kind of a thing. And so Mm -hmm. there's this almost a desperation um, and a Christian nationalism involved in this sort of quasi-spirituality thing happening as well. And so it's a li- I think it's a little bit alarming. You know, it, this goes along with some of the stories that we've been talking about or covering throughout the year where I think just COVID-19, the, the racial strife, all of the things that have been going on, one of the things we've seen is that everybody, not just Christians, but everybody has has really been influenced by alternative narratives and sometimes even conspiracy theories. And what I would say is this is kind of the same, what I would say is this is in the same vein of the kind of QAnon and some of those, if you go back and listen to our conspiracy theory episode, it's sort of the same people surrounding those movements. But what we're seeing is more and more Christians sort of flocking towards alternative stories. And by alternative stories, I mean stories alternative to the gospel. And namely, again, what's happening at the Jericho March is what I would call a Christian nationalism, an idolatry of nation. And 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 it seems like lots of people aren't even really bothered by it. That's what mm. I would say. Yeah. Well, I want to talk more about Christian nationalism with you here in a second. But first, yeah. uh, Elizabeth, um, one of the things that Adam's just talked about, and I read this in an article by David French as well, he referenced... That same idea, I think, when he talked about uh, the march, is that the uh, organizers, at least claiming, like, this is a movement from God, and God directly told me this. And it seems like from that position, you can't really argue with somebody and say, well, well no, he didn't. And uh, But I don't want to step into the theological territory that our brothers and sister over at the Knowing Faith podcast do, and they do it so well. But Elizabeth, <laughs> what is the what's the danger of political figures saying, I heard this from God. And I mean, we do believe God speaks. How do we, as Christians, discern whether or not they did? You know, how would we know? Like, how, how can I deny that uh, the Pope heard this from God last week or that um, Eric Metaxas had a vision? Like, how do I how do I discern as a Christian whether or not I need to take this seriously from a leader? I mean, I think... It's, it's a really significant statement to say that we have heard from the Lord. And it's not something that we can't say. Um, we just have to be really careful in how we say, because if we say we heard from the Lord, one, then what we say ought to come true, because we know that God is not a liar. Um, and so when you speak for the Lord, you speak against his character. And so a lot of times what I tell people is, what is the fruit of someone's comment? 
Um, what is, how are they operating in the fullness of who the Bible calls us to be? And so are people's comments calling them to love others um, as themselves? Are they calling them to seek the interests of those around them? Are they calling to seek the interest of a community and the betterment of what it means for us to exemplify the value to the kingdom of God? Um, you know, we think of some of the rhetoric that has happened at the Jericho March. I would say that that might be a questionable reality of what it means to take what we hear there and line it up against the fullness of scripture. That God is not a God of confusion, that God does not lie, that he's consistent and he has a consistent goal um, in uh, creation. Like he has a consistent goal that he's working out towards the redemption and restoration of the world. And so he enters into the brokenness and provides healing. And so it's just, do we see the character of God being manifested in the fruit of someone's words or something that doesn't look like that? And usually that's a good indicator of, are they telling the truth or maybe are they off a little bit? In that's statements? excellent. Yeah, scripture, scripture makes it really plain that if somebody says something on God's behalf and it doesn't come true, hey, guess what? That's a false prophet. So uh, I, for instance, uh, around this very similar topic, there's a church in our town in Dallas that I really love and their pastor prophesied that he had heard from the Lord that Trump would definitely win the election. And uh, honestly, that's a, to me, just like you said, it's very dangerous to say, uh, God told me this, or I'm speaking on behalf of God, I should say, that uh, this is what God says outside of what the scripture says. It's, it's, it's a dangerous proposition to do an open mic and say, hey, who knows what God said, unless somebody's going to get up and read the word of God. But now that guy's got to navigate. What do I do now that you know, the election did not turn out the way I prophesied? Does that mean I didn't really hear from the Lord or that the Lord was saying something? You know, there's all those kind of fishy ways we wiggle around it. Uh, Adam, one of the other factors you said is, is, is a dangerous Christian nationalism idea, or I think the word you just used was idolatry. And I know that we've done a lot of ism episodes. I don't think we did a Christian nationalism episode. Can you just tell us about what is the danger of that movement or what is the, um, what is the, what is the nature of that movement? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, there's a, there, there could be a lot of ways to caricature this. And what I don't want to do is say that anytime somebody feels patriotic and is a Christian, they're engaging in Christian nationalism. That's right. I don't think it's a bad thing to be proud of your nation. I don't think it's a bad thing um, to to love where you're from or any of those things, right? Um, or to support America. I, I have family who's in the armed services, and they have very certain strong feelings about the sacrifices they've made and that others made. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And all those things are things that I think are okay to acknowledge. Um, and and I, that's not what we're talking about. And I think it's important to say that. There's even been articles written recently about what's the difference between patriotism and, Christ, and, and, and nationalism or Christian nationalism. I think where Christian nationalism comes into play is, tr is sort of this idea that um, somehow uh, America, let's, let's call, let's just, I, I'm sure there's other ways to be a, a Christian nationalist in other countries, but our, our country is America and our listeners are primarily from America. So I think the way it would look here is to say that God specifically favors America in such a way uh, that um, the the future of the world of Christianity depends on America in a sense. Um, that's a very simplistic way of saying it. I think that I think another way of maybe trying to describe it is to say that um, that that this nation 
is God's rescue plan for the world. And what ends up happening is you sort of elevate America above the gospel. You elevate your love for America above the gospel. That can express itself in so many different ways. But the main way you're seeing it here are things like Trump is going, like like how it's bound up with Trumpism specifically is the idea that Trump is is it was appointed by God to sort of save us and save America from itself. That would be like a very, very specific way that you're seeing these play out. Not just it. And I think that's why things like a Jericho March would exist. Literally their site says things like, um, um, God save the Republic. Meaning if Trump loses, then America's over and God's been stifled. Do you, do you see what I mean? And so, yeah. And I've even seen the Within the movement, there's references that if you are not for them, then you're basically like a, a Nazi German who turned their turned their back on the Nazis and said Nazis can do whatever they want. And yes. in essence, comparing uh, anybody who would disagree with them to a Nazi. That's right. Right. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it's very common uh, in movements to demonize the opposition or dehumanize the opposition. And that is part of the danger, too, that I see there is. Obviously, we're very polarized. We did a great episode with David French talking about that polarization, and uh, David French wrote a great article about this movement and um, as well. And I think it, it's worth it's worth the time to to look into. Now, this is a cultural roundup episode, so we still got two more topics to get to. Now, one of the other big things going on, speaking of our government, is that a $900 billion COVID relief deal has gone through, which means many people have already received uh, stimulus checks, and many other people, it's on the way. And as long as you make, I can't remember what the limit is, I think if you made less than $175,000 in 2019, you get something like $600 a person in your family. I'm, those numbers are off the top of my head, and I don't remember if that's exactly it. So I apologize, Culture Matters listeners, for not having the numbers. You can look it up. But it, we're here just to talk about what that means for America, whether that's going to be helpful for our culture. And uh, for you guys and the, and the circles you travel in, have, have the stimulus checks even come up? Or do you feel like people are in a desperation mode at kind of your socioeconomic class where they're going, thank God for the stimulus check? Or what is, what's the impression you get? Elizabeth, what, is, what do you hear from people about it? Or have you even heard anything? What I've been hearing from people, and I haven't had a, a significant amount of conversations, is just the insufficiency of $600. Mm. And how if you're in a really dire situation, we're appreciative of anything that our American government is going to send our way. But just the, the amount of time it took to decide um, to get the money out to people and how if you're in a dire situation, um, that that's not going to last you for long. And so they have, I think they're also um, adding some money to unemployment benefits as well um, to be able to help folks with this last stimulus um, check situation. But it just is, I think, highlights the financial um, difficulties that people are feeling and the long road back um, to being back on top of being stable financially. You know, there's a lot of businesses going under and still going under because of COVID restrictions and how it's affected our economy um, and for the benefit of our safety, but that comes at a cost. And so I think all in all, people are like, we're thankful, but we need help, like real help. And this is not going to last us for long. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Adam? What are you hearing, bud? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's partially it. I mean, that's it too, uh, along with what Elizabeth's saying. I think um, you know, I'm hearing primarily two things, and and you know, what I might say might be controversial, but I, I think it's good to sort of bring the controversy up. 
I think um, what I'm hearing this time are for it depends on the people who are which sort of sector they're working in. So for those businesses, especially in the hospitality sectors, the people who have lost their jobs, right, in those sectors, whether it be associated with restaurants, hotels, many other industries who've really been hit hard, the the answer is, man, I'm, I'm glad the money's coming in, but it's not enough. And then there's this really big, just because of where I live and the socioeconomics of sort of where who's, who's at our church and those kind of things, a large amount of people who are thankful for it, but who probably don't need it. Here's what I mean by that. When the first shutdown happened, the economy literally shut down because nobody was allowed to go out, basically. They deemed some people essential workers, but for all intents and purposes, they shut the whole world down for you know however many weeks that was. I'm not here to discuss what the merits of that. I'm not a doctor. I don't know. But the stimulus checks were to basically say, man, everything's closed. Let's get money to people. This time around, it's kind of fractured. You notice around the country, there's certain states that have larger restrictions. Sometimes county by county, the restrictions are different. And so the argument has been around this stimulus deal that because it's not targeted, that there's a lot of people getting money who don't actually need the money. Um, And because of that, you're having people whose income is not interrupted and has not been erupted, interrupted for a while who might be hurting. A lot of us are hurting. I, I'm hurting, you know, like, and I, I don't mean that financially, but I mean just all of us, right? This has been a trauma on our whole nation in many ways. Um, and so, again, it's there's a thankfulness to receive it. Um, but f- for those of us whose income hasn't been interrupted, I can't help but think that I wish there could have, and I don't know that there is a way, but I wish there could have been a way to be a lot more strategic about how we're providing this relief to people, whether that's doing a better boosting of unemployment benefits or whether that's giving it to those restaurant tours and hotel hotel people and other kind of people who find out whose industries have been hurting because there's a lot of money going to a lot of very well-paid people right now too, and I know that might be that might sound crass, but that is that is just true. No, I think I think it's a reality. I think I, I appreciate a lot of, and you know, and there's there's good and bad to be found here. Um, I think a lot of people don't think about the consequences because we won't have to face them about adding another nine hundred billion dollars to our national debt. This is not nine hundred billion dollars that came out of a bank account. It's it's nine hundred billion dollars that we came up with. Uh, to to give to folks, but it doesn't. Yeah, it's just it's printed, and um, and you're right. And there are people who are going to receive it, who are going to put it in a in a bank account or put it towards their next uh, you know shirt they buy at Nordstrom's or whatever, and they're not they're doing fine. And at the same time, the purpose is to say there's people out there hurting financially. It's not to say, hey, here's some extra money for those people who just want some walk around dough in their pocket. Uh, and at the same time, those people who are at the bottom, at the poverty level, there's also ways that those people who really need the money are abusing the finances given by the government and come from government. And part of, part of this is a much bigger argument about what role should the government play in helping people in need? And are they filling that role in America because the church is not everything they should be? You know, if, if the church is doing everything we're called to do and meeting needs in our city— are we not more like the early church who the Romans kind of fell in awe at, at the way they cared for the sick and the poor and the needy? Or whereas now people go, well, I'm going to need the government to come in and rescue me. Is that something we should look to the people of God to do so? 
And if we did, are the churches prepared to do that? Or are we so busy doing a weekly event that we haven't really thought about what that means for the for the um, the least of these among us? Like when Matthew 25, uh, when Christ is talking about, hey, you you fed me when I had no food and you visited me in prison and you, uh, you know, clothed me when I had no clothes. He's talking to Christians, not necessarily politicians and not necessarily uh, governments, but he's talking to those people who follow Christ. And so I want to be part of that solution. I want to be invited into, uh, you know, being a stimulus for uh, those neighbors that I have. The government obviously has a different system in place than I do. They have an IRS that tracks everybody's information and can put money directly into accounts or, or write checks and send them to their addresses. But I just think it, it's for the Christian church. It's food food for thought. Think about what role your church can play in your local community to be part of addressing the needs specifically where you see those people are in need. I know Eastside has found ways to try to do that. I know my family has talked about that for us, but um, I certainly appreciate the heart behind it that America wants to help those who are in need and we want to get it, process it quickly. Uh, Elizabeth, I agree that delaying things, sometimes a delay in things means it, it's not going to be helpful anyway, you know? let alone the amount. And then what you pointed out, Adam, the actual execution of getting it to who who needs it. But anyway, I just want our church to step up. I want all the churches to step up. And I want anybody in our community to not just, you know, don't treat a church like a bank. Like I get calls from strangers like every church. They just say, hey, can you please pay my rent this month? They go, well, I don't, I don't know you. But, but, if it, but I, my guess, Adam, is, and this is, I think is important for our listeners, is but for your members yeah. who are there... If they're hurting, your hope is that they'd come forward with it. And I know that's a very vulnerable and can even be a shame-inducing thing, but my encouragement to somebody who's lost their job, who's out there hurting, who belongs to a church family is, man, I know your leaders want to hear from you, and they want to be able to help. Not every church is in a position to be able to help financially, but those that are want to be able to help. And then for our listeners who are not hurting financially, God's given you a means to help people in your church right now who are hurting financially, and that's happening. So those are really simple ways, is one, to tell your church, hey, I've got some means right now, or I've got a little extra. If I can help in any way, I will. And then for those who are hurting, to tell tell your elders, tell your church leaders that, because they do want to help. Yeah. And it's a conversation we're having on a regular basis with people who have lost jobs and are hurting and other people who have means and want to help. And I love the opportunity a church has to connect to those two groups of people together. But it's Mm -hmm. also what we see in the Bible of why people pool pool their income at a church. To say when one of us is in need, they won't have to worry because we've pooled our income. So the needs are met. And so if we were a little bit more Acts 2 and a little bit less like, but that money needs to go to our building campaign or to keep the lights on, you know, and some churches, like you said, are in financial straits. And I'm talking idealistically, but I just I just want us to think about that. All right, let's close out tonight with a talk about some very important elections going on in Georgia. And Elizabeth, again, I am so out of the loop on some of this stuff. For those who are like me wondering what, big elections are going on in Georgia. Can you kind of sum up what's going on and why is it important? Yeah, we have two runoff elections in Georgia for two Senate seats. Um, And so some folks might be like, the election isn't over yet. Like it's still going on. (laughs) And this is the last piece. And so we have um, the Senate has won the House. I mean, not the Senate. The Democrats have won the House. And so we're waiting to see whether we will have a Democrat-controlled Senate, or we will have a Republican-controlled 
And so it's really important because it, it points forward into what our government is going to look like. Um, and so what is what can we expect going forward of how whoever's in control in those legislative places are going to how they interact with um, President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect um, Harris? Um, we know that uh, President Obama just had difficulty. Um, and so politics aside, do we have a government that's going to work together or are we going to have some difficulty going forward? And so the Democrats will have to win both of those seats in order to win completely. Um, and President, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris will kind of break that tie. Um, but it is super important because it really directs the policies that we will see put forward um, in this next presidential term and just really what it means for our country and what it looks like to get out of this COVID season. Um, and so again, I think even some of the things that we are seeing towards the end of this election term of those who are in support of what has happened um, with uh, Biden and Harris and those who aren't. Um, we just have some last minute ditch efforts um, of some Republicans to even block uh, the certification of the electoral college votes. Um, and so it just is, to me, it's interesting politics aside because the policies that we are gonna see either from Democrats or Republicans, nobody's perfect. Um, right. And so as Christians, we have to be engaged to know that we care both about the sanctity of life, um, but we also care about racial injustice. We care about um, religious liberty, um, but we also care about making sure that this world is a place in which everyone made in the image of God is cared for um, and is loved and receives dignity and worth. And so it just, it's difficult. But to me, as I look at it, I'm like, what does America's government in 2021 going forward what does the future look like for us? Um, and to me, I really hope in a situation where our country needs to heal, our country needs to get back on its feet, that we will see politicians working together. And I really think that this uh, Georgia election will tell us whether that working together will be a little easier or it's going to be really hard. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's such an interesting point on American politics that, you know, if if the majority of the House or the Senate or if any area is the same as the presidency, then we can expect things to go smoother because uh, people will be able to get their agendas pushed through, right? Uh, but the interesting thing about American politics is, is like if we're, if we're truly independent and if we're truly free, then why do we have to have a system where everything gets voted upon via party lines? And I get it. You've got a constituency you've got to represent. And I get it. that, But the power-hungry nature of politics, it says, this is better for my party. Therefore, if your party came up with it, I'm against it. Even if it's good policy, even if it's like it's better than what you came up with, it's like, yeah, but this is the way that we're going to maintain power, control, influence, whatever. Man, that kind of stuff... I've said it so many times on this program, people are probably sick of it, but I just cannot stand the politics of politics, you know? Um, so it will be interesting to see what is what is the next administration like and how easy is it for them to process their agenda. But what I would really like, and let's, let's just hope for this, cross our fingers, that no matter who wins in Georgia, all our politicians just kind of put their arms around each other and say, you know what, let's just do what we think is best for the country. And let's forget about being uh, in control or not in control party-wise. And let's just talk. Let's just hammer some stuff out and think about making the best possible legislation and uh, governing well, and maybe even doing so with integrity, you know? Maybe no backbiting or mudslinging. And, uh, maybe not 
cheating on our spouses or saying garbage to people. I mean, just wouldn't it be nice? Elizabeth, you seem to think that's this a, is ridiculous. That's a beautiful. <laughs> I, I mean, everybody should dream. You know, Adam, everybody's got to have a dream. Somebody's got to be hopeful out of the group. I, I really wish, <laughs> I wish what you said was true. I mean, I think especially about, and not necessarily voting just along party lines and just going with what my party is doing, but voting with integrity, voting for the benefit of your constituents and not just for uh, the uh, the hope of trying to get reelected. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people have lost um trust in our political system and we need it in order to thrive as a country and so it just is like and i wish to be a a world where our politicians would put their arm around one another (laughs) and say hey i want to work with you and let's make a better america but you know i'll I'll let you be hopeful one of us one of our three is not bad Thank you. Let's be let's be optimistic Americans. Here we go, guys. Everything's going to be better. It's 2021. Nothing can go wrong. Just because everything everything's always gone wrong doesn't mean it will continue to. Oh man, it's the worst. <laughs> well, thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode is recorded and mixed by Chris Starrett and produced by David Rourke. If you like what you heard, please give us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast and follow us on Instagram. You can also support our patron page at patron.podbean.com slash culture matters. Thanks, listeners. God bless you. Thank you.